Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places close to our home. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Places Where We Go. This is going to be kind of a part two to our last episode where we took you to Lone Pine, California. We talked about several highlights from that trip last episode and On our visit, though, we said we were going to save one item from that trip for today, and that's our visit to the Manzanar National Historic Site. And we're going to offer a highlight of things that we saw when we visited Manzanar and impressions that were left with us from that trip. So Manzanar has been on our list to visit for a number of years. We drove by it at one point a couple of years ago, I think it was during when COVID was just upon us and we weren't able to get into the grounds because the grounds were closed, but we finally were able to get into the site when the visitor center was open. Now, Manzanar does come from the Spanish word for apple orchard, but that's not really what this place is famous for. It is the most famous of nearly 10 Japanese-American internment camps during World War II, And you're going to find this site located on Highway 395, just a little bit north of Lone Pine, California. It's the best preserved such camp. And today, the United States National Park Service maintains it and oversees its restoration. We walk through a time in history where over 10,000 people of Japanese ancestry were interred here starting in 1942. President Franklin Roosevelt issued an executive order that applied to certain individuals who were German and Italian, but the order extended to all people of Japanese ancestry living on the West Coast. And this approach wasn't limited in the United States. Canada also passed an order which authorized the relocation of every person of Japanese race. You know, one of the things I'm just remembering in the moment here is since visiting Manzanar or, or in the in the time just before and the time after that trip there, we had also, when we visited Montana, and we've had podcasts about that and YouTubes about that, there was this one place we visited in, in Missoula. Fort Missoula. Yeah, that had displays about Japanese internments that were in that area, I think at Fort mm-hmm. Missoula itself, right? Mm-hmm. right? And just recently, there was the Secrets of World War II exhibit at the Ronald Reagan Museum, and they had a section devoted to that part mm-hmm. of the history as well. While we've had Manzanar for years and years and years on our radar, just over the last two years, we keep bumping into this history. And um, I thought it was especially having the opportunity to go to Manzanar itself and see everything that was still preserved there, and the story was an important visit. Oh, it was so impactful. Yeah. When you go to Manzanar, there's basically, in my mind, two components of that site. You've got the visitor center itself. It's a fairly large visitor center. So, you know, many of the national parks, you have your visitor center that's fairly modest, that has your 
store for tchotchkes and stuff, and then there might be a display or two. The visitor center at Manzanar is much more vast. It covers a lot. It's more of a, almost like a museum versus what I think of as a traditional national park visitor center. I think it's a visitor center with a museum. Okay. I think that was his intention. Yeah. So you've got that element at Manzanar, and then you have the grounds of Manzanar, which are expansive, and we'll try to give you a taste for both. So starting in the inside, and that's probably where you want to start your visit, you can tour extensive exhibits that are inside. It's an excellent description of the story of what happened at Manzanar, what happened to the people from the aspects of the immediate judgment that was bestowed on them from the government, the intense prejudice that happened in society and the suffering and the sacrifices that were made by the people that were brought to the site. Yes, and I think what stuck out for me the most was this was not only immigrants from Japan, this Mm. was American-born Japanese people. Yeah, they said there, there was people who were brought here because they're of Japanese ancestry, but some of them, they've never been to Japan. Some of them maybe, you know, because they've been here for a while, like, you know, second generation, or even some first generation, you, you know, you start to lose the language. And so the, ja- right. the American identity was almost as strong, if not stronger for some of the people, but because they were connected to the Japanese lineage, off to Manzanar, they right. were taken. Right. So it's kind of stunning. There's an account presented at the visitor center from this time that includes many firsthand accounts from people who did spend time at the site. You'll see historical depictions that highlight the propaganda and politics of the day. And there was just so much imagery that we saw that also, I think, helped to bring the situation to light. It was not only Manzanar that was depicted, but there were other relocation camps that were included in this museum. And I had been standing near a man and his two children, and the man was 40-ish, maybe, And I overheard him talking to his children, who were young teenagers, saying things about, well, this is where she was. And he pointed to a map and he pointed straight to one of the relocation camps that was called Tule Relocation Camp. And then he proceeded to point to a picture of that particular camp saying, this is, this is what she lived in. This is, this is where your grandma was born into. So being who I am, I approached him and I asked him, did he have a relative in one of these camps? And he began to tell me that his mother was born into this Tule camp and she herself didn't have a lot of recollection of the camp life itself, just little bits and pieces, I guess. But the stories of this camp among her relatives and her parents were very much in the forefront and kept alive within the family history. So he heard many, many stories about these camps, and he was in turn telling his children the stories of his childhood and what he heard from his mother, their grandmother. So it was extremely fascinating And he had gone to another section, and I just happened to come upon him again. And he was then pointing out 
his other relatives, his uncles that lived also, they were pulled also from where they lived to this Tule camp. And he was pointing out their names also. So his entire family was relocated to these camps. And I bet over the decades, there's probably been so many people who have um, had connections directly to that story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the, I was looking through photos just before, you know, getting into this podcast. And there was one I took from, there was a plaque on the wall from a lady named Mary Suzuki Ichino, where her quote was that the ordeal of Manzanar was like, quote, going from a human being to being an animal, unquote. Yeah, and you just, you know, think about people were living their lives. They had businesses. They had jobs. They came from all walks of life, all ages. And then all of a sudden, because they were Japanese and had nothing to do with what happened at Pearl Harbor and that whole effort, but were rounded up, lost whatever aspect of life they were living. And for the next few years or so, were living in the middle of like nothing in the center of California. To me, just just stunning to think about. It's stunning. Yeah. And, and you have to think that there was a better way. Yeah. It brings back shades to me, and, and we've mentioned this at, at times in the past, to both my mom and dad from Poland. You know, there was, there were young children, my mom a baby, my dad almost a teenager, when World War II broke out. And for both of them, it was kind of the story of like, one day you're living normal life. And the next day, you're getting on a train with a Russian rifle pointing at your family, and you have no choice. And you can bring nothing. Yeah. And your life as you know, knew it, completely gone, and you're never going to have it again. You never mm -hmm. had it again. Mm -hmm. I do think about places like this that we have in California, and, and there's, there's a number of sites that are of such historic significance that I think if you're like a parent, and if you have children who are starting to get immersed in history in school, junior high, high school, if you're able to take a trip to a place like this during the summertime and immerse them in this, I think it's such a bigger learning moment than paragraphs that you read in a textbook. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, something like this probably gets, I don't know, it might get a couple of paragraphs, whatever, and then you move on to the next event and the next event. And it doesn't become as real as when you, when you walk on the site and see the images, see where they stayed. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is one of the um, interesting aspects of history that's been preserved that can still be visited. And I think it's, it's a rich thing to be able to do. One of the things that caught my eye, the plaque there was talking about that despite public misconceptions, Japanese Americans and Manzanar were as diverse as any group of 10,000 people. They came from cities and farms, young and old, rich and poor, extended families to single people. Most had never been to Japan some only spoke Japanese. You had fishermen from Terminal Island, doctors from Los Angeles, Buddhist priests and Catholic nuns, so many different types of people with shared ancestry who were forced from their pre-war homes to live in crowded apartments in identical barracks in Manzanar. And as always, people are resourceful. All people can be very resourceful. And the Japanese had skills in their own languages that were helpful to the U.S. So the U.S. government had used uh, some of the Japanese that had spoken the language as interpreters. 
The military intelligence service school started with about 60 individuals and it ended up with 6,000 who were trained. And their duties included interrogating Japanese prisoners, translating captured documents, and interpreting these intercepted messages. Again, the irony is stunning that they had imprisoned these people. Some of them, most of them were American. Well, I don't know most. Many. You know, a section of them were American. And the Japanese understood that in order to gain favor or try to get ahead of things, that they would um, have to use their skills in, in their own language to help the U.S., And there was many of them that volunteered for that. Inside this visitor center slash museum, some very, very heavy stuff, but real stuff and um, important things to remember. We were done inside and then we knew that there were these grounds that we could tour outside. And I think my expectation was we were going to have like a fairly quick-ish tour outside, maybe 20 minutes, half hour. And we spent the next several hours Mm -hmm. on the grounds and there was so much to see. So let us take you through some of the highlights of what you can see when you go outside the visitor center here. So you get a chance to step into reconstructed barracks that are on the grounds today to get a glimpse of what camp life was like and the challenges that were faced by the people there. And you get in your car, there's a 3.2 mile auto tour where you can view the remnants of orchards, excavated rock gardens and ponds, building foundations, and the camp cemetery. And there's so many stops along the way where I'd recommend stop the car, get out, explore a section, take it in, get back in your car, drive a bit more to the next thing, walk the ground, soak that in, and keep doing that. And it's going to just bring this place to life for you. Yes, there are still things you can see if you are unable to uh, walk these grounds. There is no paved path. Many of it is just dirt paths. So if you are disabled, you can still see things off of that main driving road and get a sense of this place that they called Manzanar. And I guess, I mean, theoretically, you could get in your car and just drive the 3.2-mile route and probably be done with it in, I don't know, 10 minutes, 11 minutes or so. Or you do what we did, and we probably were outside in that area at least another three hours. Oh, easy, easily. And, And this was kind of a mix of going into the reconstructed barracks that were on there as well as just some of the areas that were preserved. So farming was a large portion of what they did at Manzanar. And at its height, Manzanar's farm supplied about 80% of its vegetables, which was quite a bit. When you look at that arid condition out there today, you wonder, you know, how they were so prolific in their gardening because it just seems so dry and arid and struck me interesting, too, that, you know, you had people here who I guess you would consider inmates, right? I mean, they were yeah. like, they were, I mean, they were prisoners. And still, they were the active participants in gardening the land, cultivating harvest, feeding their people. And there was so much food that they were able to get out of this land. So that was pretty amazing. When they first arrived at Manzanar, these buildings and everything else that came over time weren't there in the beginning. So they actually were 
building their own homes and their own barracks and building the sites for their gardens. And this was all they're doing. And then soon the government would come in and build other things that would help them with this community that they were forced into, um, for example, would be a hospital. Yeah. So like the example that you just mentioned of, I think it was like the gardens, you know, there was an area of gardens that they created for themselves, these fish ponds. And I think there was this sense of, hey, if we're going to be in this area in the in these horrible conditions, we're going to try to make some sense of something inspirational for us, even in the midst of this horrible situation. And my understanding, right, they weren't asked by the U.S. government to make a garden that you can stroll through here or make fish ponds or any of that. They they brought in elements of their culture and created this... A beautiful park-like structure. It It was gorgeous. And that to me was an example of like that resilience that you mentioned earlier. So even in spite of these horrible conditions, they made the best of a tragic situation. There was a building on site there that portrayed the schools that were made available at Manzanar. So there was schooling activity that happened. And it just kind of seemed ironic to me that among the things that would happen in the schools is they begin every day with the Pledge of Allegiance. The kids would sing God Bless America at the same time when the country took you from your home and stuck you in this camp. And Well, we know what that was. Yeah. We understand that. Yeah. And there were many, you know, some of the writings that came out of uh, Manzanar and other relocation camps were of anger. There was bitterness that they were taken from their homes in the manner that they were. Even as being American, it didn't matter. And so there was anger. There was aspects of social life and social activities that happened at Manzanar. So those who were entoured here tried to maintain a semblance of normal life, including things like, you know, they would have singing groups, there'd be Japanese opera, crafting opportunities. There is a baseball pitch on there that, that we drove by. They had baseball teams and they'd spend time playing that game. Some got married. So you had marriages. Some died there and there was funerals. Which takes us to one of the final places we saw on the grounds was the, the cemetery an area that's a sacred space at Manzanar, but today only has six graves with remains left there. And families who had deceased people at Manzanar in the years following requested the removal of remains. So many... To be buried with their own families. Yeah, but there are six still there and the whole cemetery area is still preserved. And there's a large memorial to them in the center of this cemetery. And we we took quite a bit of time there as well. So about 1943 is when the Japanese that were interred there began to leave their prison. And it was for those who would properly fill out their loyalty questionnaire Those are the ones that were allowed to leave and resettle in the Midwest or on the East Coast. In 1944, there were over 2,000 of the Japanese interred that were considered disloyal and sent on to other segregation camps that were in Northern California. And I can't imagine being asked to swear your loyalty to a country that has just imprisoned you Mm -hmm. for no other reason than 
you have a different ancestry than somebody else. So as I said, the anger did bubble underneath. There was a point within this internment time that there was a riot, a rebellion. And there was one that was, at least one that I remember that was shot and killed, Mm -hmm. I believe by a prison guard. So they were trying to get a sense of, independence of freedom and they did make a plan in a proper way they were trying to protest in a proper way and there was a guard that apparently mistakenly thought there was an attack or felt the actual threat of an attack and the bullets rang out and these are the kind of things i would expect to happen Mm -hmm. when you do these kind of things The camp was closed in 1945, at which time thousands were again displaced, and many of whom were wrongly imprisoned U.S. citizens. Yeah, and there's books out there that continue these stories, because I think, you know, the the next chapter following Manzanar is once these people left, is, you know, what happens then? Because Mm -hmm. if you left a business, that business is no longer there. If you left a job... You know, many of the jobs were no longer waiting for you. So you had to restart. And there's fascinating aspects of that whole story, too. And then, mm-hmm. you know, just continued survival. Well, yeah, it took as long as 1988 when President Reagan was in office, at which time he signed a bill which every living internee became eligible for a letter of apology from the U.S. government and a one-time payment of $20,000. And yeah. I, re- I remember the um, son spoke of that. And he said, I remember him saying, there was an attempt, but $20,000 was not enough. Nope. But, you know, that's probably also one of those things that you argue till the cows come home, what, it, what is enough, you know? And right. I mean, it sure seems like $20,000 for everything that was endured, maybe scratching the surface. Yeah. But we have, you know, I also think about, you know, so many tragic things that have happened in this country where nothing has happened close to that. So, you know, I think with things like this, part of the value of history is you get to look back and you ask questions, you know, think about, you can't fix what did happen, but, you know, society and people and each one of us can think about what happens differently moving forward. Yes, we can definitely try to do that. There was, there sure was a lot to take in. I think that's why we were there. We were there for so long. Yeah, just walking through these foundations of what used to be homes and their gardens and that park, and seeing the hospital. And there were stories. There were little stories in the museum about the hospital, and the nurses and the doctors that worked there, and the teachers that came in from the outside to try to um, keep school going for the the children there was also it felt to me very sad frustrating moments within their lives but boy I look at that and I'm like boy people are so resilient there there's so many that just don't give up even in spite of in spite something of like this yeah yep. Yeah. This was a visit. It reminds me a little bit of when we visited Big Hole National Battlefield in Montana in that when the visit was done of viewing a place of such historical significance and such historical tragedy that it just ends up with, you know, the people that you're with. In this case, it was you and I in both places. It just brings up 
questions and discussion and if there is a value of it is I think you know you leave these places impacted it causes you to think and for a moment pause and reflect and um, I think just try to have that mindset of understanding what's right what's wrong when are certain actions too much there's things that do happen in the present day that I think are parallels to something like this. So you visit a place like this and then you can, you step into Manzanar and I think most people walk away with a sense of an injustice that happened. And if that's your takeaway, I think you can step back and look at certain events that we face today and maybe ask yourself, are there times where we're too quick to rush to judgment because of people fit in a certain box? Mm-hmm. Well, I always think about how I grew up. You know, we were we grew up both of us in a Catholic family, and that word concupiscence always comes up for me, and it's just humanity's gravity always towards sin, and it's like we can't escape it. We can certainly try to take those moments and make them turn towards a better place, a place of good instead. Mm -hmm. Because we're capable of that too. Yep. It's a heavy place to visit. It's a place that will leave an impact on you for sure. If you're anywhere near the center of California, if you're able to make the journey, highly recommended. It's part of the National Park Service. And like most places in that catalog of places to visit, you bring your National Park Passport book, and it's part of this journey of the American past that you can be a part of. And if you'd like to visit Manzanar or any destination, take a visit to our website, theplaceswherewego.com, and you can start your travel planning on our travel resources page. Whether you're looking for a flight, hotel, rental car, or savings for unique attractions, you can begin booking your next vacation by starting at our travel resources portal. And if you book through the links on our site, it's a free way to support our show without any additional cost to you. I'd like to add too that if you have visited Manzanar, but you have been there before the visitor center and museum was built, please go back because that is an amazing visitor center. It has so much to offer. It would be uh, well worth the trip back. If you'd like to learn more about Manzanar, there's some great resources online. There's a site called denshow.org, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. It's spelled D-E-N-S-H-O.org. And this is a nonprofit organization that preserves Japanese-American stories of the past for generations of tomorrow. And they have aspects of the internments through the website. You can soak up some of the history there. Manzanar also allows you to connect on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And we'll also have a link in the show notes of books related to the Manzanar story. So if you uh, go down to the show notes, if you want to do some reading about Manzanar and related events, you can pick up some books for you there through our Amazon store. So we hope you learned something about our visit to the Lone Pine area, our visit to the Manzanar Historic Site, to Mount Whitney and Mount Whitney's Portal. We had such a great time in the area, and we definitely will be going back, and we hope that you also find yourself traveling in that area soon. 
If you're not subscribing to us, take a minute to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite source for podcasts and catch up on our future episodes. And we would really appreciate it if you left us a review or a comment. And you can also follow our adventures most weeks on our YouTube channel, The Places Where We Go. Some of our latest YouTubes over the past few weeks, we have our visit to the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and their special exhibit, Secrets of World War II, which actually has a connection to this visit to Manzanar. And we have some recent product reviews as well. Some water shoes from Sequay, fire starter kits from Bigfoot Bushcraft, and then there's a whole series of all kinds of travel adventures in the archives as well. So thank you for joining us on The Places Where We Go. If you have any comments or information to share with us about travel, you can write to us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram as The Places Where We Go. You can find us on Twitter as The Places Where One, the number one. And you can watch our travel adventures on YouTube where our channel name is The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at the places where we go. See you next time. Bye now.